This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Matewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh, Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Well, how are things? All good? Yeah, very good. Thanks. We're delighted to be joined this week as well by Rory O'Connor. Rory, how are things? Good, thanks, Will. How's it going? Yeah, no, very good. Thanks. And I know I say this every week, but we really do have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, you know, we end of the Autumn Nations Cup, Champions Cup on the horizon. But guys, I, I really think we should probably start with just the big story of the last couple of days, which is the news that a number of former players are, are taking some legal action against World Rugby, the governing bodies in England and Wales, over, I think the, the quote I saw was, uh, failure to protect them from the dangers of concussion, uh, Rory. And Steve Thompson's story has gotten a lot of coverage. You know, World Cup winner in 2003 with England, who's saying now watching games is like watching them back for the first time almost that he can't really remember. Remembered. It's obviously not the first time we've heard a kind of a harrowing story of a former player, but I suppose the nature of that story in the World Cup and then coupled with the legal action at the same time has a feeling like, I don't know if Landmark Day is overstating it, but was certainly different to, to maybe what, what some of the stories we've seen in the past, because there's actually concrete, I suppose, action now being taken by these guys. Am I overstating it when I say Landmark? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've had players in the past who've told their stories very powerfully. You know, Shantaine Hapé comes to mind as someone, a uh, former England international, who's, who spoke really powerfully at an earlier stage about the impact concussion had on his end of career and his retirement. But I think we've been waiting, those of us who are kind of keeping an eye on this stuff, been waiting for this case, you know, looked like that someone would actually take what we've all suspected there might be a case there that actually someone would go and do it. And I think, yeah, you're right. The legal aspect of it and the fact that um, this is a test for maybe a larger class action, for want of a better phrase, lawsuit in the future is interesting. And you couple that with the harrowing account that Steve Thompson has given and the fact that at 42 or 43, he's been diagnosed with early onset uh, dementia and possible, C- oh, sorry, probable CTE, um, which uh, chronic uh, traumatic encephalitis, I think. I always get that wrong. Um, like, we've all, we've known for a long time that there's a, a, you know, a, a link between rugby and brain injuries um, that players weren't looked after very well in in the previous era, we've seen World Rugby and the unions um, put measures in place to try and protect the current generation from 
from brain injuries, I guess, and from the sport itself. Um, and there's obviously a question now about whether what Steve Thompson is bringing up about you know his era is is applicable to this era. But certainly, it it, uh, it it's something that has caught the imagination, has got people talking. Um, is a massive, massive story, a very important story. And I know from talking to players and coaches today, it's made an impact within the walls of the professional uh, regimes. I'm sure the WhatsApps of all the players' groups and stuff have been buzzing. Like, you cannot be playing this game at, at the level, at any level, and not know that there's a risk. And to hear a player that young talk about the impact it's had on his life, it's, it's harrowing and it's worrying. And I guess the big question is, from a current point of view, is whether they've done enough, you know, and I'm... Um, they remain to see whether the case wins and whether there's, there's legs in that. Um, there's no Irish involvement right now, but there are Irish players who've been contacted. We know of the players who've kind of retired due to head injuries in the last couple of years. They can join at a later date, and I think there's a kind of a plan to kind of test this one out and then come back in a couple of years. Or, sorry, to see how it goes, and then w with a kind of a bigger group of players. But, yeah, it's a bit of a watershed, I think, um, or the latest watershed in a series of them with, uh, with this topic. Yeah, look, I suppose, you know, we've had this podcast for a good few years, but it's not really a topic we've ever really covered in any great depth. So I don't really know your, I suppose, thoughts or opinions on how you feel this issue has been handled over the last couple of years. Because obviously your career started in 06 and finished in 2016. So you have, a, you kind of went from maybe an older era to maybe up, you kind of saw the change progress throughout your career. Like when you see this story and the legal element to it, like what are your thoughts and, and, and your feelings on it? Um... Well, first of all, we're we're kind of in a really we're in a very dangerous area. I'll just I, I will say that, and for probably a number of reasons. Um, you know, it's there's I think there's still a huge amount to find out about, you know, head injuries, about how we manage these things correctly. Um, I think what we are finding out over time is that the symptoms are extremely serious and kind of far ranging. Um, and you know, like just just very very serious like really kind of sad stories i think the papa one kind of stood out to me and that he you know i think was he having trouble remembering his wife's name or something like that that i hear a story so like the few yeah well sorry i know the steve thompson one has caught the headlines because he's obviously you know a more widely known obviously a world cup winner in england and that but i mean like very very serious stuff and very sad okay but i think we are heading into an area where i'm not sure you know like the, like the knowledge is definitely increasing as time goes on about how we manage these things correctly. Whether we're doing that or not is probably the real question. And I think um, the dangerous thing to be commenting on this is that, well, like we're kind of talking about medical people who have who are involved in the process um, and clubs who are involved in the process who certainly don't want to be hurting people. Like that's never the, you know, that's no one goes out to do these things. I think if there's a lack of knowledge there or, does it, or, or you don't do the, the work to put in, you know, the, the procedures in place to protect players, you know, even against themselves at times, um, you know, that's probably where this, this, this will lie and where they'll probably be looking at from a legal standpoint. Um, but I think where it becomes really tricky is actually understanding, well, like what was the level of knowledge at the time and what was, like, was there, look, I think what they're probably arguing is that, look, there was a, you know, a, a responsibility or a burden of, I suppose, responsibility to, to look after players who are going on the pitch representing the club and essentially a worker for you. Um, 
And I think that's probably where it'll get very, very tricky. My own sense in this is that it's really difficult to manage all of the risk all the time. Like we're going to talk about tackles and we're going to say, okay, let's get the tackles lower. But to my mind, that puts the tackler in more danger because he's heading into the kind of, you know, the knees and the hips, like very big areas that are moving quickly. Um, if you go, if you, you know, if you keep the tackles high, then probably the person getting tackled is, at, is more at risk. You know, the rooking part, like, are you like, how do you not put your head down when you're trying to poach for a ball? Like that's definitely going to be in a danger zone. And things are happening so quickly in there. Like, there's just so much to try and control here. And we're going to try and do that, I think. But at some point, we have to say, when we're playing sport, there is a risk involved. Are you willing to take the risk? And certainly, are you going to be covered to take the risk by the insurance people? Because, or the, sorry, the insurance providers. And all of these questions are really, really difficult yeah. to answer, Will. And to be honest with you, I don't really have... I'm I'm unsure at the moment. I'm really unsure about how you, how you proceed. Um, you know, like part of me feels like there is you know the, the lack of understanding and probably the, the the thinking in rugby is probably a little bit behind. Like if you get badly knocked out in boxing, they don't. I think it's like nine months before the boxing board lets you lets you box again. Um, you know, and rugby you can come back in kind of maybe two or three weeks. Um. But what does that mean if, like, with all the head injuries that we're getting now, if we don't change tackle laws or if we can't manage, you know, people getting concussions in games, what does that mean for your squad? If you, if every once a week you have a guy getting concussed and they're gone for nine months, is that how you manage it? Is that correct? Is that the best thing to do for the players? Like, does that mean if you get two or three in a row that you can never play again? Because I think in boxing it's kind of very similar to that. Um, you know, if you get two or three bad ones, they say you're pretty much done. They don't. It's very hard to get a license to box again. Um, now I recognise that the you know the collisions are not the same, but um, it's just a really really difficult question to to answer. Will and I look, of course, like it's they're so serious. And some of the people that I've played with have had very serious injuries or, or head traumas, and have had issues subsequently. Um, and and like I just really don't know the answer to it, Will. And and I'm sorry, I know you want something definitive, but we do have to protect the players. That's absolutely I'm sure about that part. How we go about that. And who's responsible if there's, you know, issues about how people have been treated in the past? I, I just don't know if we're being very harsh because of, there was a lack of understanding. Or yeah, right. Because I suppose there's two kind of separate issues that are running at the moment, and there's one is that the former players seeking kind of financial, uh, you know, compensation for damage that was done to them or, or to help them with, you know, care going forward for stuff that was in the past. And they're also, they have these 15 commandments, I think they've called them, of kind of changes they'd like to see going forward. So it's kind of looking at, at what rugby did and how it handled it in a prior era and then also looking at the current era and asking, is what they're doing now enough? So there's kind of two separate issues that are both very serious both for the guys who who the damage is too late to save and the guys that they're, they're trying to help going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I guess, like, I mean, Steve Thompson is coming from an era where really, you know, the knowledge, whatever lack of knowledge that Luke's been talking about, um, there, was, there was no lack of, there was, there was very little knowledge back then and there was no um, concussion substitutions. Uh, certainly in the earlier part of his career, there was no real pr- protocols around it. And there was much more macho, uh, approach um, from the, the management, from teams, from the players themselves about getting your bell rung and just carrying on. And I think that's largely gone out of the game. I'm trying to, I, I, in my mind, I have a specific example. I can't remember exactly which player it was, but in the Ireland game at the weekend, or maybe it was the week before Will Connors, it was Will Connors got sparked and um, 
got up and he could see from where I was sitting that he was clearly unsteady on his feet and trying to go back, back into the line. And Dr. Kieran Cosgrave was out on the pitch. And he dragged him off. We've seen that with Dr. Raina Falby in the past. Um, that didn't happen previously. And we're kind of used to it now. I think that the, the tolerance for it is gone. You know, there are incidents that we can all kind of think of where the, 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 the protocols have failed and, and a player has been able to kind of get through them. Um, but like the days of say Guinobes dragging Florian Fitz out of a dressing room to play, like that seems like an, another era now. So I think it's the game, like the sport has grappled with it and has is definitely better. But at the end of the day, the, the game is just a, a, a success, you know, an 80 minute succession of people running into each other. And in, injury is inevitable. And protecting your brain in that environment seems a very difficult thing to do while contact is part of it. And contact is a fundamental part of the sport. I mean, what the, the incident that runs around in my mind is, is the Andrew Porter clear out on Stuart Hogg the other day where you've got a 120 kilo prop running into a 90 odd kilo fullback who's trying to jackal. And, you know, it, Porter's going full pelt. You know, what damage is he doing to Stuart Hogg? But he's doing his job and he does it brilliantly. And that's, that's the game. And the players are all fully aware of the risks when they take to the pitch now, I think. I think we're, we're much more educated and much more aware. So I probably haven't answered anything there, but I've kind of, it, it, once you start digging into it, um, kind of Luke's touched on this. I think, you know, once you start asking questions, it leads to more questions and more questions and more questions. And there's a question of responsibility. I know Jim Hamilton has, has said today, like, we signed up for this. You know, that's a very harsh way of looking at it. And the game ultimately is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be, you know, it should be a safe way of making a living if you're a professional. And if it's not safe, it's ultimately insurance companies, as Luke said, and parents who make decisions in but the like, future as to where it's it can, sustainable. It, can it be safe, though, Rod? You know, it's like it's making a game that is inherently dangerous safer, but it can't be safe. You know, you can like some of the proposals they want, you know, a reduced number of substitutes. So you can't roll on like a full, you know, half a fresh team and like almost a full fresh pack in the second half they want uh you know less contact in training or like very you know limited amounts of time you can do contact in training you know stuff like that to make it you know safer quote unquote luke you want to come in there but then you're more tired like you're like then your technique drops when you're tired and someone's going to argue well you know you know particularly for say you're in the front five and you're like like you're mucking around in there for 60 minutes it's like your technique is going to be sloppy like um the, the more tired you get like is there an argument that if you don't take those people off who are less fit then they're they're more at risk versus you know bringing like there's two sides to that coin mm. to my mind like if you're bringing on someone fresh to run at, at, at other people who are tired like i don't know like you're talking about personal fitness levels there's too many risk factors there to actually have to be able to go right well that's the right call like there's too many inputs into that model to say well we can like we can we have a good idea of what the risk is, risks are of having more substitutes. Like you could probably make the argument that the, like the, it's poor technique because you're tired is probably riskier. So you're better off replacing that person, to be honest with you. And then you'd still have to make a call on whether there's more people who are getting tackled um, versus get versus the tackler. You know, what's what, like, what's the side of that going? Who's making more tackles in the game? If you're in this team, like there's too many things to, to quantify it all. Like the, the, the roads made a great point there. Like, I think, it's like you. It's, it, there's risk in the game, and like the the, the issue is coming. How much how, how much can we control of this? Um, like lots of those things, lots of those proposals to me sound like they just create as much risk as they take out. Uh, so there's two sides to the coin in that. Um, so I, like I, I just don't know if there's an easy. What answer about to this reducing I think contact to training? Is that something? Is a is that a good idea? Yeah, but like then you have poor technique. Mm. 
you're in worse positions. Your head's in worse positions in tackling, um, all this kind of stuff. And like you look at it, sorry, it's, it's happening in, in soccer as well. Like all the people who are heading, I see, I don't know if you guys saw Chris Sutton talking about it mm. on, on BT. I think his father's having some issues, uh, like really sad, but from heading the ball all the time. There, but like there's some people that are calling for like, you know, not allowing like you to head the ball. Like that's not feasible either. You know what I mean? They, that, that, that's not a feasible thing for that game either. So look, the, the key thing is that we're having the conversations, but you have to understand that there's no real, like if we're going to be playing sports, there's risk involved. We have to try and manage it as best we can. Um, like to my mind, probably the, the best thing to do, and the only thing I can really see that really does help is having some crazy cutoff, like that probably isn't feasible financially and really could ruin careers of like kind of six to nine months, kind of like a boxing model. If you get a bat, if you get a, a decent sized concussion, I, like that would just decimate teens, hmm. you know? Like, so it, like, it, like then, then the, you, you call it the question, like you have to reduce everyone's pay because you've got to have more people in your squad because you're going to have more people out from concussion. But it, like the questions, like, as, 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 we, as Rudd said, the, once you kind of question one thing, kind of an, like a good few other ones kind of pop up in its place. Um, and it's a really difficult one to solve. I think at some point you have to say, well, like, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of risk here. Like, you know, how do you offset that? Well, you have to get insurance. Well, <laughs> I think the more insurance companies look at this, they'll say, well, that's going to ratchet up. Um, like, that's going to ratchet up premiums. Does it become unaffordable? Because it's very likely that it's going to happen. Like, how far down the line do you, do you feel these effects? I mean, it's just a really, really challenging area to to really kind of, have a, have a single answer for this except to say we manage it as best we can as things go um and, and look at my own experience like i'm dealing with an insurance case that's going on for five years <laughs> like i haven't seen a court at all um in, in, in my own case so like it's and i know of another person who's doing the same thing and still hasn't got a result in his either so like i, I this is a, it, it's a nightmare it's a disaster of a scenario like i like from my personal experience I wouldn't be recommending anyone pay the, those crazy premiums I was paying, and uh, because like I haven't seen I've, the amount it's cost me in lawyers' fees up until this point, like it's a disaster. Like I wouldn't, I don't really have a good answer for anyone about how you manage the risk. All I'll say is I I would play the game again. I would send my kids to play the game. I Did you have any issues concussion-wise, like in your career? Look, the thing is, we don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I never look. I never. I never got one where I was sparked. I know that. Um, but like, it's the shaking of the head that we know is is what causes concussions now. Like they're talking about even hits to your like a big hit to your chest causing problems for your head as well. Um, so I'm sure technically it probably did. But like who like it's so hard to quantify these things. Well, I have no issues with memory, uh, bar ones that I have just generally. <laughs> um, um, and other than that. Um, I haven't noticed anything, put it that way. But I did have a think about it today because I was like, well, this, or over the last couple of days, I've been thinking, geez, I wonder, how, will I have any of these kind of you know, Im impacts later in my life? And I also asked myself the question, well, would I, would I still send my kid to play if I, had, if I was lucky enough to have kids? Yes, I would. Would I have still played the game myself? Yes, I would. And that's knowing, that's knowing the risks. Mm. And when you, I suppose, look back at the start of your career, like how, what was the landscape in terms of dealing with this when you started playing rugby? Because it was a very different place than when you finished, I would have thought. Very different. But the understanding from the medic, like the medics are going out there to try, they are genuinely have, they have your interests at heart. 
of course there's pressure from coaches to perform like and f- from yourself to get out there and to to be tough for and and to man up for your for your mates and even for your own personal pride like you, you want to get out there and, and be physical and get involved and not leave the guys on the pitch um you know you suppose leave the trenches uh, so to speak so, so all those things are there i think as you get on and we saw maybe a few a few people who suffered with badly with it um, I think we were kind of saying, do you know what, actually, you know, we need someone to actually manage this a bit more for us. And I think the medics, as they saw the impacts of this a bit more widely, I think um, they kind of said, no, like, I think we have to step in here. We have to have a protocol in place. And of course, the club would have been saying we have to have something in place here because these are very serious, um, you know, that have very serious repercussions. And I think the NFL stuff was kind of try- was seeping out as I was coming through my career as well. So it would have been have to have been stupid if you were at the powers of being rugby saying, asking your medics well how do we manage this how do we cover ourselves in the event that someone takes a case against us and we can say well look this was the th- thinking at the time uh this is the protocols that we put in place um this was okayed by some insurance crowd who to talk to our medics i'm sure all those things happened we definitely saw those things being introduced um and they were certainly more cautious as time went on um but again like I think the the longer time goes on, the more we realise that maybe they weren't, maybe they maybe the, it was the best. They had the best intentions at the time, but maybe they need to be more, you know, stringent on that uh, and on those things. And I'm sure that's probably what's going to happen off the back of this. That would yeah. be my view on it. Will yeah, Rod, I might give you the last word on the on the topic before we maybe move on to to the Champions Cup at the weekend. Like, is there anything else I suppose you want to add, or, or like any changes you think you, you should come down the pipeline in terms of making the game? You know, a little bit safer, or or, or changing the changing it a little bit. Um, nothing. I think the stuff they've done has been like you know we've seen the yellow cards and red cards and predicting down Southern Hemisphere have um you know like the the intention is right. I think Luke's right. Like it, I think we're in we're broad agreement here. I mean, the game itself it, it contains an inherent risk. All you can do is mitigate against it. If the players know what's going on, the coaches know what's going on, the medics are on board and players are not playing through this and are being stood down properly, then you're broadly moving in the right direction. Um, but I think you're still going to have you're still going to have head injuries as long as it's a collision sport. I do think maybe transparency around in, in, injuries, it's a contentious one. It, not everyone agrees with the journalists on it, but I do think, you know, like are there concussions happening in training? Yes. Do we hear about them very often? No. Um, like we get told about the ones that we see. I, I don't like the way the HIA is becoming a euphemism for a head injury. Like a, a coach will come into a, a post match and say, oh, he had a HIA, we took him off. Well, did he fail it? Did he pass it? What's the outcome? You know, I think the, the language around it should be clearer because I think there's an onus on rugby to prove itself to parents and prove itself to its fans that it is, a, you know, as safe an environment as it can be. And being euphemistic about it, um, is not good. I think it should be as transparent as possible. Yeah, just to come in on that one, and I think Luke touched on it earlier in terms of like, I feel like it's not kind of well known or maybe I don't know it. And if I don't know it, I'm going to say that some other rugby fans watching might know it either in terms of why certain players play like, you know, quite quickly after maybe suffering a hate, you know, going out for a HIA. Do you know if they fail their pass and they might play the next week, they might not play the next week. There's not maybe a kind of a guy. Is there, there, is, is there a guideline or, or a clarity on market? They benchmark yeah. on certain things. So there'll be, okay. so you have these kind of memory tests uh, that you have to get through. They'll have kind of, and it's kind of a tricky one. It's about, 
uh, I think you might have to do it like two or three times and basically you get a benchmark score, you work against that after you get a head, in head injury assessment. They also have one in, in the short term in the change room that you have to take. Uh, I'm not sure that's on a, on a laptop or it's not a, a program as such um, on, on, a, on a lap, on a whatever, on a PC. Um, but I think there's a few tests that they do um, to kind of jog your memory to make sure that you're tracking your eyes or tracking the, the, the correctly. Um, and there's a few of those kind of things, balancing tests as well as another one. But I didn't, I never had to do one in the change room. Will I've actually done one. Yeah, have you done mm -hmm. one? Yeah. So have you seen? Have you done it, just as, as part of a, a media day, they had they they kind of brought us into the dressing room and showed us. So they have tried to get that that part of it out there, and it's it's not easy. Like I wasn't a wrestler; I hadn't been playing. I was just I was in front of a lot of people, so you kind of felt like you had to perform, and I was trying to remember answers. Like Performance the anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, Get you into Gary Keegan. I need to talk to Gary Keegan, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, they throw a lot of the numbers at you. They try, you have to respond or repeat the, the numbers. You have to walk in a straight line, or like like what you'd imagine, the kind of an American... Um, DUI. Uh, test. The DUI, yeah, exactly, DUI. So maybe I've been out the night before, I don't know. So they have, that's sort of, like, there is, I think if you look up the RFU website, Will, you'll find that, like, on the World Rugby website, like, the, there's stages that you have to pass. To, so... It, like the first day back of training, you, you, you go on a bike, and if you don't show any after effects, you then run on the pitch. And if you don't show any after effects from that, you then get to play with the team. And I think by stage four, you're allowed to take contact. And if you've cleared all of those, you're allowed to play on the Saturday. Yeah. So, but if you go back, if, if you fail that in you go back to stage one. So, the one on the, that, I can't remember the name of the program or whatever, the, the thing that they, um, the test that they do. Uh, or the software that you use, whatever it is. I'm not sure. I'm so bad on IT stuff. But whatever it is, the thing is, these, these tests you do, are they're very comprehensive. You kind of you spend 40 minutes at them. Um, and then for your baseline, it nearly takes an hour. You're kind of sitting there. You have to do it two or three times. So they work out a baseline that you have to work against for memory tests and for like kind of numbers, how quickly you can get through. Like uh, I think it's like almost 25 down to one in a square and they jumble up the numbers, all this kind of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'll also do tests. Like, you'll, like they, they kind of have people working slowly back through fitness tests because there's actually issues. Some, a lot of people would seem to get issues with um, kind of getting dizzy, you know, after a, a bad hit and kind of they work them through a very gentle program, like almost starting on a bike back into fitness and that kind of stuff. So um, it, it looked at they're they're trying really hard to, first of all, I would imagine to cover themselves, but also to make sure the players are safe. I would still say you might end up getting to a place where they just say, Regardless of how you're scoring on that test, um, you're three months or you're something like that. That's how you. That's the best way of managing it, I think, um, is that you just say, right, we're just cutting out all the risk here. If you get a bad knock, are you proven that you've your test scores are down, or even if they're not, and we just think we we have a we we we've taken a view on it uh, that we're not going to take the risk ourselves. We're not going to let you take the risk. We're just that's it. You're done for the next three months, and and that's going to be like. <sighs> Like that's a really difficult question to put yeah. uh, to 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 a club, uh, or something like if you get like two in a season, you're stood down for the remainder of the campaign, or or, or some sort of tree strike rule, or whatever, or whatever way you want to do it. That's what they do yeah. in boxing. Yeah, but it, so that it's such a, I suppose it's going to be such a pertinent topic over the next while. Is this case maybe you know goes to court or however it proceeds, and I'm sure it'll be something we re revisit again. But I suppose for the meantime, we might move on to to the weekend's action. Rory Champions Cup is back, probably. I was looking at it earlier. 
The UEFA Nations League was pretty complicated, to be fair. So I wouldn't quite say the Champions Cup is the most complicated format I've ever seen. But this year is pretty damn close. So we have 24 teams, two pools of 12. Each team plays four matches, but it's in a variety of you know combinations. So no one's obviously playing the same fixtures. It's kind of based on your tiers, like Leinster being a tier one team, play teams in, in tier four. But given that the French League was cut short, you have some big beasts in tier four, like, you know, I think Toulouse are a tier four team who also get to face. So a lot of variables this year. Um, I know you've been writing about it this week, kind of kind of previewing it. Like, I suppose for me, the interesting thing looking ahead to the weekend is which players, if any, of the young guys who've been really good over the opening couple of weeks for the season away from the limelight of the international stage, might get the chance to prove themselves this weekend. Because Andy Farrell said he didn't want to pick them until they'd done it in Europe. You know, will players like, you know, Gavin Coombs, Harry Byrne, Jimmy O'Brien, you know, Frawley, any of these guys, do you expect to see many or any of them involved this weekend? Because Leinster are playing Montpellier, Munster, Quinns, two, two games to start off this weekend. Yeah, there's a few bits. I mean, firstly, the... I mean, we just spent about 20 minutes, half an hour talking about player welfare. And now we're going into a European game. Some players are coming into like the European kickoff five days after they played an extra time final in, in the Autumn Nations Cup between France and England, which is just absolutely crazy. You know, I mean, you can talk about player welfare all you like, but if you play, if, if your schedule is as unremitting and unrelenting as it is now, you're at nothing really. But that's kind of, I suppose, that's partly COVID, but also a bit of common sense. But yeah, this tournament has, has dropped a week. So they've, they've they've increased the teams and reduced the, uh, the the rounds, and I think there's pressure on the squads in Ireland as much as there normally would be in France and England, um, because your internationals have just come off the back of the six weeks, six internationals in seven weeks. So I think we are going to see some of those players that you mentioned involved. Um, like I asked Felipe Contepomi on Monday about Johnny Sexton, who got a dead leg last week. You know, is he going to play this weekend? Um, or sorry, is he is he okay? And he said, look. He probably is okay to play, but we, you know, he's got soft tissue problems. He's got a dead leg. Is it the right decision for the next six weeks to play him? So it sounds like Harry Byrne's going to be involved somehow. I think um, it sounds like Ross Byrne's going to be starting with Harry Byrne on the bench. Um, Ringrose is touch and go, but probably not going to make it. So does that mean Frawley stays at 12 with, with um, Robbie Henshaw coming in at 13? Possibly. It's not the, maybe the place to go with Frawley at 12, Montpellier away with the size of players that, that are there, but I mean, he's been tearing it up at Pro 14 level and um, he's a very good player. He's not the biggest 12 goal, but he's he, he's very good. I think that in Munster, Healy and Casey will definitely be involved. Um, I mean, there's no one else really in, in for you know, uh, Casey's definitely number two to worry if not pushing them. When I said involved, I meant I suppose about starting, like, will any of them get the fate of a starting berth? I think Coombs might, I think Healy and Casey. It's very hard not to go like if I guess Harlequins at home, you go with your more experienced. Conor Murray's almost definitely going to start, and um, you know JJ Hanner and Ben Healy like that's that's a tough one, you know. But Hanner is a more established com- combination, but you know Healy's doing going very well. So I think Coombs will. I think I think you'll see them peppered across the place a bit, mostly on the bench. But there'll be a few starters. The Ethan McElroy up and Ulster might be involved. Um, you know, Connacht will, will largely be as they were for, you know, they've only got a couple of guys coming back in. But So, yeah, I think some will be, I think Jimmy O'Brien is definitely going to be in and about, in, in around us. Uh, he's been excellent. And unless you don't have that many backs at the moment anyway, like they've, they've only a few to come back, Hugh Keenan is coming back in. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, I think a number of them will. I think Coombs is probably the most likely to hang on to a starting berth, maybe Casey, but, I, you know, it's hard to pick against Conor Murray. 
And then a couple of those Leinster guys will definitely be in the 23, but maybe not starting. Yeah, just from a once perspective, I guess, with the way the fixtures fall, home to Harlequins, away to Claremont the following week. I think this home to Harlequins is a good time maybe to give Casey, give Coombs a start in Europe in a game where Munster are going to be pretty strong favourites. You know, Quins are good, but they're not a top-tier English side. Like, with all due respect to them, could be wrong, could come back to me next week. But, you know, Luke, I suppose when you're looking ahead to this campaign, as Rudd said, it's an interesting one. You know, Leinster play Montpellier and Northampton. Munster play Quinns and Claremont. Connacht, Bristol and Rasslin very difficult. Ulster, Toulouse and Gloucester. And I suppose the way it's ended up falling is, I think, Roy, you pointed out in one of your pieces, Leinster are probably on one side of the draw. I think you have the next five favourites in terms of betting on the other side of the draw. So, Luke, I suppose Leinster look like they, they're well poised maybe for another attack. And given how it ended last year for them at the quarterfinal stage, you know, they, they have a bit to prove. Um. Yeah, no, they do. Uh, that was a bad day at the office for them. I think that was still the best team in the competition, in in my opinion. Um, I think, um, yeah, like it's very interesting, isn't it? Like, uh, like I think the competition is like it's just a shame that we're kind of we're we're, we're still like the format is kind of tricky enough to understand. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, um, I think Leinster, you'd have to say, you know, based uh, look, it's just so hard to gauge with the league how good Leinster really are um, comparatively. Um, I think some of the French teams look like they're coming good. I think Racing look good. I like Claremont. It'd be interesting to see how Munster play against them. And I think they're round two for them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, away yeah, round yeah. two. Um, and to, to my mind, like it, that's a very good question that you started off about. Who do we see of the young lads in there? Um, mm. Because there's certainly a few guys who, I mean, I love. I just love. I'm a big fan of Frawley. I, I think now is the time to play him in one of those games and. Um, I'd love to see him get some time in a very uh, I agree with Rudd's in a very difficult place to go and play um, but there's no better place to go and cut your teeth and he probably has to play against better teams anyway um, to my mind he's still the best he's a better 10 than he is 12 and I think he's a great 10 um, I think he might actually be the second best 10 at the club actually um, I think um, yeah like I'd love to see Healy have a go as well I think he's the future there um, yeah. you know, and I think like Harlequins at home yes you're taking a risk because you've got Claremont in the second round um, but Quinns at home, there's no better time to actually, you know, with, with all the big guys around him, all your senior players, or Peter Mahoney's, or CJ Standers, you know, Delanda next to him as well. You know, these guys, um, you know, I'd like to see those guys have, have a bit of time. And now is the time to give them a shot, particularly in a game like that. You have to take a risk at some point with these players. Um, and best to do it with good players around them because that yeah. settles the nerves. Just to come in in a second on that one, like, because if, if, like, some of these young guys who've been so good at the start of the season, and I accept that the big guns were at international duty and a lot of them deservedly come back into the team, but others, others haven't been playing great rugby. Like, so if these young guys, if, like, most of them don't get a start, from their perspective, they have to be wondering, like, what, like what's, what am I doing in this squad? Like, am I here just to play Pro 14 as a dirt tracker, like a Lions equivalent of a dirt tracker? Or am I here to actually, like, con- contribute to the starting team? Like, because there's a lot of great players there who haven't really ever played in a, in a big game. Like, there's some guys, like someone like Scott Penny, say, who's been probably close to man of the match in every game he's played and he hasn't really played in a big game yet. Uh, Rory, I suppose I throw this one to you. Like, there's some guys who, if they're not involved starting at the weekend or, or even in 23, they must be like, "What, what, what, is, what am I doing here?" Like, yeah, well, Leicester have to take comfort comfort from the fact that they threw Hugo Heenan and Will Connors into the quarter final, and, and like Heenan was their best player against Harrison's mm. and has gone on to play in every international since. And Connors has done well for Ireland as well. Um, like Penny is just 
I don't know how Penny's going to stay at Leinster. Like, like, there's so much in front of him. I mean, obviously, it's his job to kind of knock them all out of the way. But at some point, he must get impatient and go, right, i got to go somewhere else to play my rugby. I'm not like, Leinster fans are always giving out about me trying to move their players. But, you know, that he's got Josh Van der Fleer, Dan Levy, and Will Connors ahead of him. Um, Reesota can go seven if you need if they need to move him there as well. I mean, there's just so many resources. It's so hard to see a path for him into a European squad without a loss, with a massive injury, without a massive injury crisis. Like I like you're gonna see either Josh or Dan Levy or Will Connors out of the squad on on, on Saturday. Like that's crazy. Um, so you know these guys have gone well in a competition that's not good enough. You know they've been. Playing well against teams that are that are pretty rubbish, and like Leo Cullen said, he's worried about them learning bad habits because they're getting away with stuff against understrength Edinburgh teams and Cardiff teams that are not that good. At the same time, someone like Jimmy O'Brien is making decisions that even in the, at the highest level would be would be pretty good decisions and executing them really well. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be difficult for someone like uh, like Penny, but someone like Jimmy O'Brien, where they don't have a massive amount of backs at the moment. They've they, they like they've. They lost a couple at the end of last season and didn't replace them, and, and they have a few injuries there as well. Like he could definitely step in and step up, but like for for Penny, like he's there's just too many good players ahead of him. Brawley's in the same boat. Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I don't. I haven't seen him play a, gap, a bad game for Leinster ten. I haven't, and I feel like he is probably their. He, I don't know. Is he is he their fourth choice at ten now? Yeah. Um, but he's their second choice twelve. So, but like that's, but still, to my mind, is he is he actually a twelve? And he's still not. He's playing there, but he's not actually starting there. So, like you're kind of saying, okay, well, yeah. he gets, he's going to get experience in the in the European games, but he's not. It's very like Joey Carberry. Like it's like Joey Carberry. Like they they decided he was a fifteen, and he obviously disagreed and, and, and left. But you know, I think if if he had stayed Leinster, that they had him down as their fifteen for the next couple of years. I I think you I know mean, he's um, a fifteen. He's the best. That's his best position. He's a great fifteen. Yeah. He's a brilliant fifteen, and it suits him because he doesn't have to do all the collisions. Like I, I don't know. I just think to, I I just really like that guy. I'm really worried his career is going to go like is he's just going to be there all the time. But he could have been a ten. I think I feel like he might actually be the best. He might be the best ten behind Johnny if he got if he got the game time. I really feel that. I, I I'm gonna keep harping on about that one because I just I'm worried about that guy's career. I think um, someone sold him on the wrong thing there, or else he hasn't realised that it's a short window to get to, to to get your name in the hat to play in the international team. He's got a great size for ten. He's a good kicker. He's got a really good head in his shoulder uh, on his shoulders. He. Uh, I'm worried about that. But guy. It's a funny one, like because sometimes we talk about the national team, where we we like, oh, we don't have depth in X or Y position, and you look kind of further afield, and you're like, God, there's so many good players in some of the provinces who just never get to play meaningful games. I know I said this like two or three minutes ago, but like there's some guys who are like fourth or fifth choice in certain positions of provinces who. Yeah, I think I think well, there's there's like the, there's a lot of players at that level who are about 21, 22, and are pro 14 players now, and I think they can be internationals, but I think right now, like in this window. They weren't ready for international. I think I think Farrell was right because they got six six games under their belt in a row during that window, and they got to run the team and they got to play alongside like Devon Tone or Scott Fardy or whatever who were you know, and and they've come out. I think by Six Nations times a lot of them will be in a little bit more in the mix. You know, I think like Baird is probably the highest the, the, the highest achieving of all of them. He he would have got capped if he got if he got, if he got um if he hadn't got injured when he did. But I think like Harry Byrne, for example, will have benefited massively for having us that. But you know that game is that 
bank of six games instead of just being a, a tackle bag holder at Ireland training because that's what he would have been for that window. So Craig Casey's the same. Like he got a, a week of training, but they sent him down to play for Munster. I think that's long term will be good for them. And I think there's a lot of guys who got capped for Ireland in the last couple of weeks that probably won't be in the mix that much again because they're about to get overtaken by the guys who weren't weren't picked in the um you know who were back with the provinces doing well. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, it's a kind of an interesting one where there's, I, I still think there's a lot of good players in Ireland who will never play for Ireland because they won't get enough game time at club level to show what they can do. And I think to show what they can do to develop into like the sort of players they could potentially become. Like even someone like, this might be a, a stretch, but like someone like Brian Byrne, who like never really got to play that much at hooker because there were so many hookers. Now, could he have been a great hooker if he had played all the time? Who knows? But he didn't really get much of a chance because it was so stuck. Even like Edburn, it's probably I know he had that long injury, but like it's taken him a lot longer to break into a team that you know because there's so many good players in these positions, and, and it applies across the provinces as well. I just feel there's no real answer to the question. To provinces, or, or does it does it apply to one province? I, well, it applies mostly to Leinster, and I will. I, Leo, call it, like I'm sure Leo would be so pissed off me saying this, but it really applies to Leinster. Like all of those people sat kind of third in the third in the line or fourth in the line, but basically means you're only subbing or you might start every second game in the league, which just isn't enough. And I believe I I completely agree with you. I think there's loads of people I saw saying, "Geez, that's a serious player." And I feel like I've played with enough serious, like really quality players to know that's a good that's a good rugby player that you have right there. Um, and I just feel like they got stuck and didn't move or they weren't moved. Um, and I think it's I think it's a big. <sighs> I think it's a big mistake. And I like, look, you don't want to completely, like Leinster are doing some great work, but also Leinster have the, have a huge advantage with the population base. Um, and split Dublin in two, split Leinster in two. It's an easy like, solution. It, you can't deny that. Like, it's a huge advantage to have. Like, you do have that. So at some point, if you're sharing resources and it's been shared out, uh, you know, by the IRFU, you have to say, well, like, are, are we actually getting the most out of all these players that we have? I would say possibly not, because I think there's a few people sitting third and fourth positions that, like we could definitely be really high quality players, possibly even internationals, but they just will never get enough time or enough opportunities to play and showcase. I think I think it's been a Leinster only problem for the last couple of years. I think Munster, like we've they've got loads of criticism. I think they've finally got a, a group of players there that are coming through that look really good. Hmm. But a lot of them are back rows and they have Peter Armani and CJ Stander um who will probably start to the weekend. So say a Jack O'Sullivan who looks like a really good player, Gavin Coombs, like one of them probably Witcherly should, like should be taken. I don't have a problem with Witcherly. I like him. He looks good. No, Witcherly's good as well. Like th- th- there's a lot of good players there. You know, one of them is going to have to kind of be a bit grown up and go. Hang on a second. I'm not getting luck in here. I'm going to Ulster Connacht to get to get my luck in. Like players have to be selfish. And I know they all grow up wanting to play for their home province. But sometimes you're behind an Ireland international. You're just not going to get those minutes, and you got to go force it. Yeah, like I, I definitely think there's enough talent that we could have in Ireland for provincial teams. With like really, really strong starting teams, and to be fair, we we pretty much do anyway. But like, as in, it could be even better if it, like that's what that's what David News for one of his jobs is. And you can't force people to go to certain provinces they don't want to go. But I guess it's just sometimes if you if you looked at like what various starting teams could look like if you could actually just cherry pick them and you could have four really strong club teams. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's just hard to get the people in the right places, and then you get to a point where, like, say, even Leinster didn't they have an in data? There was some kind of uh, was it one position where they were loaded up, and then they saw, all of a sudden there was an injury crisis. And Leo Cullen was saying, 
like I, I had to give uh, like one of the players. I had to give up one of the players last year that is now I now shorten his position. So his argument is always going to be well, it was tight head prop, like you know Jack Anger and yeah, Salanoa left, and then they had a few injuries and he went to the didn't he? Yeah. So like, look, mm. it's it's. <laughs> Ah, uh, look, you can't you can't account for all these kind of information, like all these scenarios. But at the same time, you have to say, like, are they spreading the wealth enough? I'm, I'm not sure that they are. And I think some of these young players need to be fairly ruthless about their own careers, um, about how they view themselves, and you know how important it is to be starting on a weekly basis. If you're sitting behind an international and they're paying that person between two and three hundred grand a year, like that person has to play bad for like a lot of games. Like, because mm. otherwise, how do you justify making the economic spend on them? How do you go? Well, I'm paying that guy three hundred. I'm paying this other guy thirty. Who's you know playing better than him? Well, like they're going to go. Well, look, I'll stick it out with him. He's got the quality. And all, like inevitably, good players. If you give them enough opportunities, they're going to play well. Um, mm. so it's bloody hard to get in. I don't, I don't think many people or young guys really get that. Um, that if you're on an international contract, you've got to play bad for a long time. Yeah, no, that's why it'll be so fascinating to see the team selections this weekend. Just before we finish up, guys, Roy, just a word on Ulster. They've started the season, well, I suppose, finishing last season, starting this season, getting to the Pro 14 final. They've won all their matches in the Pro 14 this this um, season so far. Like, they start out home to Toulouse, away to Gloucester. Like, Toulouse, I suppose, depending on who they have available after, the, you know, the, the French campaign, you know, at Kingsman Stadium, there'll be 500 fans there. You know, could, could they go on a bit of a run in Europe, do you think, this year? Well, they've been quarterfinalists the last two seasons, so, like, we shouldn't be surprised if they do. You know, they're pretty consistent performers. Dan McFarland's done a good job. They've gotten over the crisis of, of a couple of years ago and kind of restored their, their good name and all that. You know, like, they're kind of, there's a bit of a positive vibe going on. I do think losing, losing Ian Henderson is a massive blow to them. I think he's a really important player for them. And I thought he was good. He was good for the forty odd minutes he played for Ireland on Saturday. He, he looked really powerful and, and kind of back to himself. And like Alan O'Connor and Sam Carter, you know, they're good. You know, they're, they're good players, but they're not at the level that he's at. And they've always maybe lacked a little bit in the tight five. And I think when you're playing Toulouse, certainly in Toulouse, that's what you need. They should have a bit of a point to prove against Toulouse at the same time. Like they, they were pretty well beaten in that quarter final um, a few months ago. Like it's not that long ago that they were playing each other. Um, and they're like also being unlucky. They were they were a tier one team. They should be playing against two minnows, but two lose are the kind of the banana skin in that because they they uh, Montpellier are as well. In fairness, they 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 are only in there because the French season was curtailed at a point where they were having they were at seventh. So, um, I think also have a chance of getting back to where they were before. It's a tough enough draw, and the, you know Henderson's a big blow, and they're missing a few like Addison, Billy Burns missing. Like the more you talk about it, the more you can talk yourself out of it. But they're like, mm. they're, they're well coached and they're a good team. But the Pro 14 form line is an absolute lie in this competition. It's no way, it's no guarantee of future performance. Like they're stepping up massively. And Toulouse have had their French internationals back for the last couple of weeks. So they'll be very strong. And they're of all the French teams, they're probably the, the ones who fear traveling the least. But I give them a chance, Ulster. Yeah, like their record at, at Kingspan is is in Europe is brilliant. I, I don't think they've lost there in Europe uh, for three or four seasons, and at least. Um, so they, they, I, I actually think they're they're going to beat Toulouse on Friday. Okay, just to finish up, guys. I know it's very changeable format this year, but the predictions, my favorite part. Luke, who, who do you think is going to win the Champions Cup this year? Um, I think um, I think Leinster will do it. I think, yeah. I think Leinster. It's hard, it's hard to win it twice in a row. My other pick would have been extra, but I'm going to say Leinster. 
Hey, Ro, what do you think? You know, I, I kind of like Rasting. I feel like they've been close a couple of times. The, uh, I think it could be their year potentially, but as you said, as you wrote in that piece, like Leinster do have the easier side of the draw, you know, quote unquote. But that also means yeah. that in the quarterfinal, they could be getting a, a very tough draw because they'll be playing one of the maybe stronger teams. And this year, just a home and away quarterfinals, which will be an interesting kind of two-legged aggregate score kind of job. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, who, who's your pick? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question really long. So try to find out who the other team in Rossing's pool is because everyone's playing different teams. They're playing Connacht and they're playing uh, Harlequins. Like Rossing are in the quarterfinals there. Like they'll beat both of those, I think. Um, I like Rossing. I think I I think they they beat the two finals in three years. They should have won. They probably should have won both of them. Really, like they 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 kind of messed up the Leinster final and they they messed they messed up the the Exeter one as well. You couldn't discount Exeter. You couldn't discount um, Leinster. You couldn't discount Car- Claremont. Um, I'm discounting Claremont. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Mun- I mean, Munster possibly have a bit of a shot if they can get through this pool. Like it's the home and away quarterfinals. Hopefully, crowds will be back by April. Um, Leinster, Leinster sh- like are on the softer side of the draw. Montpellier are a tough team, but like they should get through it. So like you'd expect them to get to the quarterfinal, um, and you expect them to perform better. Than- time and there's no Saracens so like they're kind of their kryptonite is gone so they have a really good shot but like um, it, like the format's so weird it's so hard to predict what the quarterfinals going to look, look like we've, we've never had home and away quarterfinals before um, I think Rossing have the squad they have the attacking game um, they have the pack I like them I, I think I think they have a very good chance of doing it yeah, if you're trying to like decipher who plays who, it's like that meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when you have the board and all the bits of string going across with all the fixtures. Because, yeah, I'm like, Rassi, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what it feels like. But uh, hopefully, when it all kicks off, it'll just be some good, exciting games. And we're starting off with a few crackers uh, this week, and we'll, we'll catch up with it all again next week. Bro, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, Oz. Yeah, Lou, I suppose just before we finish up, one thing it's worth talking about is, I suppose, the, the fallout to. The kind of the Argentina players, Pablo Matera, you know, the captain obviously was the most hope, hope, high profile one, sorry. Uh, you know, those racist tweets that resurfaced after, I think it was maybe 2011. You know, what what did you make of I suppose, the reaction to that? Obviously, it's been condemned by everyone, and rightly so. Simon Zebo, I think, spoke very well, I thought, about it today on, on a, a different podcast. It's it's a really kind of strange situation. It's really bad luck. I, I don't know if it's been handled great in the aftermath, but by Argentina for one like what what have you made of it I, he, look I just the words are there like I don't think he was young enough to really excuse them either Will um, yeah and I just I, you know you always feel awkward as a white guy talking about this stuff um, but I think at the same point at, 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 we, at the same time we do have a responsibility to like just you know everyone who's playing the game and just everyone around us all the time like there's people of different races and colours all over the place all the time different backgrounds. Everyone's welcome in our game. I think I may be a little bit naive to this kind of crap and people thinking this way because I just, well, maybe I just haven't grown up. I've grown up around different people from, from different backgrounds all the time. Um, I just think it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I just no, like, yeah. Like in such, guys, such, yeah. What's the PSG? Did you hear the PSG stuff last night? I mean, that's yeah. just, like, I don't know what happened there. We don't know what happened. Like, I, I like it sounded like, obviously it's yet, it's, I presume it's, it, it'll need to be proved, but, like at the same time, like I just wait, what goes on in people's minds talking like this or thinking like this? I just don't get it. Um, and I just hope that they come out really strongly against, uh, like uh, you know, to to support and to, to support everyone who's trying to play our game. All the people who from from 
I think from different backgrounds will be looking for support from the governing body on this. And I just think they need to come down really, really hard on this kind of stuff. I know it's a long time ago, but that doesn't excuse it to my mind. I just feel like it's terrible. Yeah, definitely. And I think being stripped of the captaincy is the very least, I suppose, in terms of... Oh, the f- I, yeah, like- I can't believe... Like, I'm, I'm really surprised at this. Like, when you... When you think about like there's some of the other things that have gone on in the game the last couple of years that like there wasn't even a case brought it like you know there's all this kind of stuff that's gone on all those people lost their jobs um you know you think of the Ulster situation like I would have this in the same bracket to my mind like I just think you know treating someone from a different race or talking about someone from a different race that way I just think, I think it's all it's terrible it gets disgusting behavior um and like losing the captaincy that's it. Yeah, no. Like, what, what's your view? I mean, am I talking crazy? Am I no, like- no. Like, definitely. I, I think like the initial kind of reaction where like stripped of the captaincy and bans for the players involved. I think is 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 definitely what should happen. Like, and even then, like I suppose, I, I, yeah, as I said, mentioned Simon Zelo's comments earlier. He was saying that like, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't be comfortable. He wouldn't want to play with you know those guys. Like, even if they did apologize and say it was a long time ago, he would. He, he just he doesn't think that washes. Just like that, as you said, it wasn't that long ago. Like they were younger, but they weren't like you know 15, 16. They were maybe nineteen, twenty. Like which is a lot different. Yeah, look, and, and I, I, you know what? I do hate, I hate the cancel culture stuff. I do, I, I, I do hate a lot of that. Will, um, but to my, I, I just think he's on the money with that. Like, how could you, how could you play alongside someone who thinks like that? I, I would even as a, as a, you know, as a, as a white guy, I'd be thinking, like, how could you? how do you think like that like what kind of warped world are you living in that do you think that's okay to think um and say and say on social media um i know it's a long time ago but it's not as you say they're 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 old enough to know better than that um so i think it's it's kind of it's pretty disappointing and i think it reflects poorly on the game and i think they need to i'd be coming out very strongly against against any of that kind of behavior um and uh, it'd be disappointing if they don't. And I think I think soccer and football has a, a, have a big issue on their hands as well. And I think they need to be very strong. And you saw the players last night call them for for, for something similar. Like I just don't know who are these people who think this way. I just don't know. But um, yeah, look, it's it's very disappointing that we're still talking about all this crap, considering that you know all the stuff that's going on in America and what we've been watching over there. Um, but um, yeah, hopefully it gets stamped out, and hopefully we can clean up all that thinking and all that because it's just wrong um so uh yeah look i think we've, we've spoken about it i'm glad you brought it up well because it's it's so important that, that we come out and support all the people from the different backgrounds playing our game um and uh yeah look that's i think that our views are expressed it's glad i'm glad we think the same way about it because i don't even think there's there's not a, this isn't one of those cases where it's a two two sides to this stuff. yeah no definitely like very important i think that people do come out and condemn it and to be fair pretty much everyone has by like a couple of people i think in argentina who seem to be maybe backing backing their guys but uh i'd encourage anyone who's listening to, to kind of seek out those simon's evil comments because i thought he spoke really really well on on the whole thing um but i suppose yeah that, that's it for this week luke thanks so much for joining me thanks will that's all we have time for on the left wing this week thank you so much for listening but before i go a quick mention of the Walk Des Home Charity. They are doing a live auction with some great prizes, including private coaching sessions for Alan Quinn and James Ryan and Sean O'Brien. So I'd encourage people to look up walkdeshome.ie forward slash live dash auctions to have a look at that. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.